Good evening. Welcome to Alley Radio. You're listening to WRBB 104.9 FM. We are broadcasting live from sunny Roxbury at Northeastern University. You can catch us online at wrbbradio.org slash listen hyphen live. Or you can download some free streaming apps, tune in or simple radio, plug in WRBB and take us with you. Who wants to leave the outdoors? Not me. I, I am Nina La Negra. And we have so much in store for you today. Hang tight. Oh, 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 
are here in the studio. You're listening to Alley Radio. I'm Nina La Negra, and I have a guest who's going to hang out with me for the whole hour. Isn't that great? I think it's fabulous. Uh, Dr. Alana Todman de Graca. Do you use the Todman? Well, every now and then. Okay. That's fine. Dr. Alana de Graca, de Graca <laughs> is in the studio with me. And she's an educator and an artist who lives to inspire individuals to become the very best they can be. And I think I'm going to open up the phone lines today. And if I could only remember the phone number. See, I'm always forgetting something, but I will get that to you shortly. And you, too, can phone in and be a part of this conversation. Indeed, 617-373-2658. Why can't I remember that? 617-373-2658. Call in. Yes. So uh, Dr. Alana is here with us, and she has done so many things in her very short lifespan. She's originally from Boston. She went to the BPS as a METCO student. She navigated between the urban and rural realities of young adulthood and became involved in civic engagement for her community. She graduated from UMass Amherst and freelanced at BET, probably when it was black entertainment television before it became the front for (laughs) black entertainment. And she's a teacher. She was a teacher at the, uh, where was it? Mm. Leslie University, uh, the Westminster schools in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and also uh, now Walden University and some local schools here in Boston. That's fabulous. She teaches Everything from technology to website building. She's a coach. She's an author. What don't you do, Dr. Alana? I'm busy. I am busy. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's fun to be able to work in a capacity where you feel like you can both be creative as well as pragmatic in helping students really reach their their goals and really their communication skills. Yes, indeed, yeah. indeed. I love teaching too, although I've retired from teaching. That's what you heard me say. I I've did. retired from teaching in 2012. Never again will I teach <laughs> in an institution. Mark my words. So <laughs> it's, it's been, a lot, a lot of work. It's a lot of work and my hat is off to you because we need good teachers and uh, many times young people don't have have good teachers and that is a way that they go wrong in life Mm -hmm. they make not so great choices for themselves when they don't have a good teacher Uh, so uh, please talk to me because you have you've traveled around the world Mm -hmm. you've uh, gone to Africa you've gone to Europe you've uh, lived in Atlanta I mean you you've had a full life already but there's still so much more ahead Um, you're here because you're going to be featured on uh, Art is Life Itself Live, Alley Live, this Thursday at the Haley House Bakery Cafe in Roxbury again, or Roxbury. And uh, I, but I want to, I want to take you all the way back, okay? Mm-hmm. When you were a student here in Boston, and uh, what did you envision for yourself, and what was your home life, your family life like? I want to understand that first. That's a great question. Um, When I think back of being a young girl growing up in Roxbury, at that time, what I think about is how 
the the girls would come together. We would do our little cadences, you know, and we would come together despite what we the graffiti that we saw on the walls, despite um, you know everyone working so hard. We were trying to create community as little kids. And then I remember my mother saying to me one day, "Oh, you're going to go to a new school." But I really didn't understand what that meant when I was eight, and really that reality became more real when I got on the bus of the METCO program and I took that 45 minute drive into Sharon and I looked around and I said, oh my goodness, I'm definitely in a new place. All the people I normally would see in my other school, uh, they look like me. Here I am in a completely different place. So um, life was really, in terms of what it was like growing up in Roxbury, it was, a you know, I had a regular childhood in the sense that I would go out and play and come home before the lights came on, a hardworking mom trying to, you know, make sure that we had all that we needed. And at the same time, you could sense that education was really important because I remember her always saying, you know, your education is really important. So in, in those times, I just was trying to do my duty as to be a good student. I don't think I had, a, you know, any big goals yet. Okay, and so uh, you started going to school in Sharon, Massachusetts. What yes. what year is this that we're talking about? In we're 70s? talking. I was. This is in the eighties. In the eighties. This is in the eighties. What was that like? Um. Well, going to school in Sharon. So. Sharon is a, a suburb right outside, and it was completely different from what I had experienced. Right. Um, you know, when I was going to school in Boston, it was kind of like our recess were on cement ground. We were playing kickball. We are doing these things. And Sharon, we're heading down the hall to get fluoride. I was like, hmm. To get fluoride? To get fluoride. For your teeth? For our teeth. Oh, they were were they painting your teeth or giving you tablets? No, we had little. We would get little cups of fluoride around. I don't know mid afternoon, and we would have get our little swish down of the fluoride. And I said, "This is different because when I was little, we were happy to get an icy or a popsicle from the corner store." Right, and so, and I must tell you, if you don't know, Miss. Alana has an absolutely gorgeous smile with oh. fabulous teeth, and. Oh I don't know if it was the fluoride that did it. <laughs> Fluoride's got rat poison in it. Oh the same stuff that's got rat. No, anyway, <laughs> I won't go there. But, uh, but okay, so you're getting fluoride treatments in school. You weren't getting those in Roxbury. We were not getting those. And the biggest change I remember is on one particular day, uh, I think the teachers were trying to assess my writing level. And they said, you're going to have to write a story. Mm-hmm. And I said, ooh, in my urban dialect, I said, ooh, how do I spell the word dissing? So I can talk about how we were, you know, everyone was dissing each other on the bus. And the teacher said, young lady, sit down. That's not proper English. And I remember thinking, oh, something is wrong. Maybe I'm not good. And so I slowly remember not wanting to raise my hand, mm. not wanting to, you know, have some have another moment of that. So I do remember being eight years old and being in fourth grade and then even in fifth grade, just kind of staying to myself, mm. not really trying to raise my hand because I didn't want to appear like I was dumb or I didn't know what I was doing. I do recall that. And I remember that little person in me saying, one day when I get older, I'm going to show that I'm 
I'm more than what you might be seeing. I remember consciously thinking that as a little kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was really, really a quiet kid Mm -hmm. when I talked a lot. It's weird. I was quiet. Like, I didn't raise my hand a lot. But then if you gave me a moment... You had plenty to say. Yes. <laughs> so that's funny. So were there were there any other black children in your class? There was one other person mm-hmm. in my class. We're still friends today. Mm-hmm. Actually, she always talks about how when she first saw me on the ride to school, I was so scared that my head, I had beads. I remember I had little braids and beads. And I was so scared. She said, when I saw you, you looked like your head was so pressed into the window <laughs> that, you know, you just didn't want to move like you were wow. there. And she really was like, um, you know, can we be friends? And she was a really great friend. And all throughout the years, it was basically her and I, and maybe one other woman that was uh, African-American, little child at that point. Wow. Yeah. So would you say that the experience was traumatizing? You know what? When I think about it, I wouldn't say it was traumatizing, but it was shocking. It shocking. was a shocking difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember having my hair brushed in um, two little uh, ponytails. Uh-huh. And I remember we were taking pictures. Uh-huh. And I must have been playing around and I took the I took the barrette out. And so I was like, oh my gosh, my hair won't just fall back down like the other girls. So now what do I do? <laughs> so, you know, you have these little moments that we think are so little, but when you're that age, everything matters. Everything matters. Everything matters from how you're looked at to, you know, all of, all of the little questions that students would have. Um, so yeah, so time, the time as a young child, it was interesting because the first two years, it took me a lot to really adapt to that whole bus ride and, and to just being in a different environment than what I was used to. And so when, when you, did you finish high school in Sharon? I did. Wow. So I did. They had you for a long time. They had me for a long time. Oh my word. But definitely by high school, I was completely different. I, how would you describe yourself as different? Give me some details. Um, well, I was much more vocal. By the time I got to my junior year, mm-hmm. and I realized I had a voice. Yes, I was very, I was very vocal, and I was very much a part of a lot of the organization, student leadership clubs that they had, peer counseling, um, just every initiative that dealt with building community or diversity. Um, I pretty much was a part of. And okay, that really. That really definitely created a, a strong impetus for me to do what I'm doing today. Ah, so talk about that. Talk about the connection between those last two years in high school and what you do today. I remember one of the um, profound moments for me was meeting a teacher there. Really, she was a, gounc- a counselor, and she would kind of pull out students and give us these additional tools. And I remember one day she talked about the, the importance of understanding resources and how when you know you're needing or in lack of something, it's important to be able to reach out and seek for help. And I thought, wow, because, you know, I was just 16. I had no idea. What, do, what does this idea of resources mean? So at that point, it was kind of like I realized that, there, that I had a voice, and I also recognized that it was important to 
not just be a student, but find a way where I could contribute and find a way where I could really connect with my peers. Um, that was really one of the turning points uh, that I experienced. Wow. And and that's a very important point. And the teacher had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. So and now here you are teaching uh, many years after high school. Uh, what was your journey like after high school? Where did you go next? Where did you go to college? Mm -hmm. What did you experience? Well, uh, after that, I uh, accepted the uh, opportunity to go to the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, and that really was completely eye-opening because, you know, Amherst is about three hours away from Boston and has a beautiful campus. And when I got there, I just thought, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to expect, but so That's much a big is school. Gone. It's a big school. Big campus. Yes, big campus. Middle now, of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. <laughs> now, my first year, I have to say, my first semester, I wasn't really focused. I was so happy with just being on college campus. But then there was a call out for someone to join the newspaper um, for the Black Affairs page. And I just said, hmm, I wonder what that could be like. And who would have known that joining that uh, organization, WMUA, and as well as the Collegian was wonderful because I began to cover stories about um, social justice issues on campus, uh, women's issues on campus, and student leadership. And that really... That really was amazing because you had 24,000 students on the campus. Women were reading my articles, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's happening, but definitely something is happening. It was really eye-opening. Um, I started to write a column called One Time for the Mind. and mm, it was really, I like the title. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, what, could I, what kind of column can I create that would allow people to read it and then say, hmm, at the end. So I talked about everything from why education was important to women's issues and why our voice is so important. And I started walking around campus, and every now and then I would actually see an article I wrote on plastered on the bathroom stall. And I thought, oh, my gosh, who actually read this and put it on the bathroom stall? And then with time, I became a very active student on campus. Um, and So your I, voice got stronger. My voice got stronger, and I was not someone who was who initially was saying, "Oh, I'm gonna be vocal." I wasn't one of those people. I was really kind of a quiet person mm -hmm. um, that just kind of fell into writing and fell into kind of doing all the civic engagement. This is good. And so, when you graduated college, what was next for you? So when I graduated from college, I decided, okay, where do I want to go at this point? And I decided to move to D.C. Right after college, I moved to D.C., and that's when I began first as an intern at Black Entertainment Television. And after some time, I was able to go back and do a couple of projects. But I really said, hmm, I love to communicate. I like media, but I really feel like there's something more that I should be doing. And I decided to come back to Boston and go to Emerson College and studied both new media and education. 
And I think, you know, I had no idea how my love for education and my love for art was going to coincide. But I'm I'm really happy about it because of what it did for me at you know up until now. So when I was at Emerson College, I kind of you know learned the pragmatic tools of how to use new media, how to use you know content on a website, and all of these things to really create brand awareness and to really allow the audience to view what you're doing. And then, and then, and then. Uh, oh, media. This media talking back. Yes. Um, and then I, I realized that, wow, there was something more. So really the cha- the real shift for me happened as I was told, okay, Alana, you have to choose a project that you want to work on. And so it just so happened that there was a project that I had just committed to called Circle of Girls happening in Roxbury with this mm. organization called Arts in Progress. And at that time, they wanted a theater director to come in and work with these young girls and to use life skills to help them make better choices. So this whole See, time... there's that teacher helping with the life choices this again. Is, yeah, <laughs> and it was, it was amazing because these young girls, they came, you know, they came from situations that were pretty tough at home. Mm. But when they came to my actual um, workshop, I said, you know what, when you come into this class, you can drop off all the all the you know things you have to put on just from growing up in the city and you can be a kid again and it was amazing to see how they took the Maya Angelou poems and they read certain stories and I could see their confidence building and that for me was absolutely amazing that really was a shift for me in seeing how I saw a lot of me in those little girls and I realized that you know my going to school had not had I mean it partly had something to do with me but there was a bigger need so for me, when I graduated from Emerson, one of the most warm moments I have is actually walking back um, to the program with my cap and gown on. Mm-hmm. And I said to the girls, what does your teacher have on today? They said, you have a cap and gown on. And I said, and what happened? They said, you graduated. And I said, why is this important? Why is it important for you to see me with a cap and gown on. And they said, because you want us to know we can do it. And for me, it was amazing because I had a young lady in there, a young girl in the in the class who could not read. And mm. in the beginning, when, I didn't know she couldn't read, but there are a few kids that were in her same school. And so I asked her to get up to read a My Angelo poem, and it was complete silence. And then the kids said, oh, she can't read. And they started laughing at her. Hmm. So I said, you know what? If she can't read, we all can't read. And I had the whole class, including myself, help this young girl read that one little excerpt. And it was amazing. The room was completely quiet. And that young girl felt that support. And so even though she struggled to get through that sentence, struggled to get through that poem, at the end of that program, when she said, phenomenal woman, that's me, she said it with a gleam in her eye, and it was just amazing to see. So when I had moments like that, I said, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is what I want to do. Mm. I don't really know what it's called. (laughs) Because how do you call it? Is it theater or it's education? And how do you bring in the media? But I knew that whatever I did, I wanted to create these moments where that person or student could grab something for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful story. And I'm so happy that you told it because you captured for me 
And maybe for the listeners, you can call in and let us know, you know, 617-373-2658. It captured for me the uh, importance and the power of teaching Mm. and just listening and caring about your students. And that's missing a lot of times Mm -hmm. in school. So uh, you you graduated from Emerson. Mm -hmm. You're engaged with this program. But then there was more. But then there was more. <laughs> I know that the story is like a long story. So so that project. It's a good story. It's a good story. Yes. So that project ended and then there was an opportunity. I was 23 when I was asked to be a professor at Leslie. Ah. I said, oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, and the I, the role there was to teach teachers how to use creative approaches to teach their students in K through 12 programs so mm. that was really the beginning of me seeing okay education is important but now crafting it and seeing it for what it was now then i made a decision to leave after i finished emerson i i made the decision oh boston's cold weather is getting to me i need to move to the south so now this sounds like the conversation we were having outside the studio. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so um, really another shift happened because I was there. I was, you know, in Atlanta and the excitement there is, you know, you have the historical legacy of Martin Luther King and you have these um, a lot of the HBCUs and a lot of other colleges. Well, there was one community college that I was teaching at at the time. And these were adult learners. Mm-hmm. And what was amazing is that. I would teach the subject of communication, but there was also something I decided to do. I really wanted my students to not only grasp the subject, but I wanted them to see that I was really committed to them personally beyond the subject. I really wanted them to do well. And I would often start off the term by saying, I think I see some authors in here. I think I see some inventors in here. Mm -hmm. And the class would get really quiet. Well, what ended up happening is with this kind of engagement, students started coming to class 10 minutes before the class was supposed to start. So I was like, you know, you guys are here really early. And they said, well, yeah, because we want to know more about what you said at the opening of class. And so I, I realized that they wanted, they really wanted more skills about how to persist in their lives. And that really was another shift because I said, hmm, I think I need to design you know, tools for my students and individuals to really grab a hold of who they are so that they can really excel in what they in what they're trying to do. So I think sometimes students get lost, you know, like they take a major and they're doing it, but some part of their soul is like missing in it. But then when you can connect who they are or who they believe they are with what they're doing, their level of success is more likely to um, occur. So uh, that make was it personal. Picture. Yeah, you make it kind of personal, mm-hmm. and you say, "Hey, you know, I know you're reading this subject, but what does this mean to you?" Exactly. And so you you were able to not only teach other teachers, mm-hmm. which is fabulous. I mean, I think that is where some revolution could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also were able to inspire students so now you're teaching and inspiring and inspiring and teaching what led to the writing of the books Mm -hmm. what read led to the traveling outside the country Mm -hmm. everything (laughs) so it's funny because I know you didn't ask me so one of the 
one of the things that also led me to my journey to Atlanta was this idea that I really wanted to discover who I was. I mean, I was teaching everyone and I was doing all of those things, but I was like, Alana, what would it take for you to really love who you are as a person? So I saw my initial move as a chance to find who I was. I was teaching and doing all these things, but I was also writing in my journals and kind of capturing what I was learning from just being a teacher or and just also just experiencing life. So around that time, I, I did get married. Uh, shout out to hubby, Manuel. Hey, hey Manuel. <laughs> Thanks for listening. So... Um, <laughs> So that was really, uh, obviously, marrying someone who also kind of helps you to be a better version of yourself is also a great thing. But at the same time, opening yourself to learning about other cultures and uh, having new awakenings was really important to me. So in this time, I was also starting to do a lot of book club meetings with these young ladies. And I call it the Women Empowerment Group in Atlanta. And so we started meeting, and one of the most poignant times I had was talking to the ladies and mentioning that, you know, what's the difference between going to a two-star hotel and a four-star hotel? And so we were talking, and I said, pretend that, you know, you were at the Ritz-Carlton. How do you expect people to treat you? So they said, oh, my, sh- my shoulders would be back. They would open the door for me, and they would treat me with such elegance. And I said, well, why don't we treat ourselves like that? We expect maybe certain people or certain environments to treat us a certain way, but what would happen if we treated ourselves in this type of excellence? And I remember the room just got really still. And for me, I, I realized this is really important. Like, this is important for me and, not- and for the women who were at this event. Because the more we understand who we are, the better we can excel. And this theme just kept happening. So for me, but in the, in the same vein of that, um, I'm writing, I'm doing all these things, but I'm eventually putting all these writings in a luggage. And I'm like, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And, you know, a year is going by and my little luggage is still packing up because I had written journals since, you know, 1991. So I literally had journals from when I was in high school all the way up <laughs> to, uh, you know, as an adult. And I, my plan was that I was eventually going to do something with this work, like make a book or write, but years were going by. So by year nine, my husband and I decided to do something drastic and go and live in Portugal. Now he has some family there, so that was also a plus. But it was really when I was in Portugal when I realized oh my goodness, I have not been living my life. I haven't really been living it to the fullest because when you live abroad and you're not around anything that you're comfortable with, you don't know anyone and you're there, you have a lot of time to yourself. And it was there that, you know, so this luggage, I always carried it with me wherever I went. I hadn't opened it in a long time. but So I remember my husband and I were talking, and I said, oh, but the luggage, we got to make sure the luggage is okay. And he said, well, what's the point? I mean, you've been carrying that luggage for years, and <laughs> nobody has ever written anything in, your, in this luggage. And so between that experience and another experience where I said, oh, my gosh, what would life be like if I literally only had – 120 days to live how would I you know what would I what made you pick that number you know 
I don't know. <laughs> it just, this number just came to mind. And it just made me think if, if my life was just that short, what would I be doing differently? And that's when I realized, oh my goodness, I let 10, 12 years go by. And here I had all these um, journals and poems. I literally had things for 12 years in a row. Wow. So finally I said, oh my goodness, when I get home, when I get back home, I am going to write. And in, you know, and it, when I came back to Boston, really, uh, a year and a half ago, I started Chronicles of a Poet. Um, I relaunched Tomorrow Can't Wait. And I just started to write and write and still am writing because I realized that, you know, when we write or when we have our talents, it's usually not just for us. And that's something that is hard for me to all, to remember, but I realize how important it is to share the gift, you know. Absolutely. And so you've been back in Boston for a year. Uh, I saw you uh, perform at Hope Inc. Yes. And you read from your book. And I'm hoping maybe you could share a little from one of your books. You've got three. Which which ones or what do you want well, to share first? Well, the one I think I should start with. So um, back in college, I start. I wrote this book. I started this book called Temple Self-Discovery Through Truth. It's my first poetry book ever. Um, even though I published it a few years out of college, um, there's a poem in there called Independence Day that I actually wrote when I was 19. I want to start with that because I just really feel it's such a, it really will bring touch base to what a lot of people are feeling right now just with so much going on. Um, so give me one moment. So this is called Independence Day. Do you know what it is like to already be dead? To the point where a gunshot to the head wouldn't do damage because your soul and spirit is already gone. Do you know what it is like when your world stops and everything around you is like a slow motion carousel? You have an outer body experience and you're almost not even here, but yet you carry out the motions of the day. There are many people who walk around dead, their life squelched by the rivers of pain, their emotions vanished and the gleam of their eyes became faint, waiting to be found but still not discovered. The void is consistent as each heartbeat. See, they don't run to a man or a female, but to their natural abilities. They have been so hurt that a brick wall encases the soul, and they live in an internal jail cell. See, some people survive, and others who die physically were dead long before. Some people survive, and others who die physically were dead long before. A few people take a hammer and try to break the wall down. They start pounding and pounding away the pain and the traumatic incident. Friends or family cannot supersede this conviction to live. But the brick wall for some comes tumbling down. For others, if not early enough, they die a silent death. How many mourners will it take to end the recycle of pain? Independence Day. 19, huh? I was 19 when I wrote that. <laughs> I know. It's like, what was I thinking about at 19? This is kind of, you know, deep. Some, some very serious thoughts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yes. so you know, it, it sounds to me like if we look back on your journey and we think about that eight-year-old girl getting on that bus and riding to Sharon, Massachusetts, the suburbs for the first time, uh, that that 
that introspection is still there Mm -hmm. 11 years later. It's still there X number of years later now, Mm -hmm. and that you captured it in that poem that you wrote. I mean, it sounds like an essay to me, you know, Mm -hmm. that that you're foraying into your subconsciousness. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that you're here today on Alley Radio. We're talking with Dr. Alana Dagraka. She's an author of three books. She's a life coach. She's a professor. She's a media maven. I mean, she's got so many skill sets. I don't even know where to end. It goes on and on. Uh, so you can call in today at 617-373-2658. That's 617-373-2658. And ask Dr. Alana a question. Before you read another excerpt, tell us about the life coaching. What's that like? What is it that you're doing with your life coaching and how do you do it? Okay. So this year I've been specifically focused on life coaching for groups with women. And really, um, these are building confidence workshops where I really want women to feel like there is a way that they can find life balance. So some of the things that um, I've been talking about this year particularly is about what true confidence is. So a lot of times, you know, we as women, we look the part, we put our makeup on, and we're working that outfit, but really inside we feel crushed. Um, So this year I've had the privilege to um, do a number of workshops around Boston and also online where I'm talking to women and trying to encourage them to realize that you don't have to wait one more day to stop using the gifts that you have. But a lot to of stop times, or to start? To stop. I mean, sorry, to start. start. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. Yes. Yes. You can start today. Today. Thank you. Now. You start today. <laughs> and also, but the biggest things that usually come out of this is the idea of our negative self-talk. So I have an idea, but I doubt that I can do it or There has been so many years that have gone by. How do I know I won't fail? So there are real questions that women have. And in these workshops, I really try to give women tools and really a plan of action to move forward. So um, it's been really wonderful to see some of these women. So give me an idea of some of the tools that you give in the workshops. Okay. So I have another book called The Woman Build Confidence Coaching Series, which is a five-week um, program that women can do in the comfort of their own home. And so what it, what essentially it has is a, a calendar of action steps that women can actually take that are realistic. So week one, for example, talks about how, you know, we might want change, but we can never get there if we don't make the time. So the first step is kind of like figuring out, well, how can I make the time to figure out where I'd like to go? Um, the second step is to figure out, well, what are the environmental factors? factors that are either inhibiting you or, you know, stunting you from where you would like to go. So some of these tools are looking at how to assess your friendships, looking at how to assess your living environment. And because these wait, wait, are- let's go back. Let's assess the <laughs> friendships. How yes. should we assess the friendships? Okay, people. Now, you know, we have to now I always say, you know, sometimes you have a friend that you've known for years and that's great. But some friends might only see you where they see you. So, for example, you know, you might have said, you know, I'm going to drop 30 pounds. That's what your goal is. But all your friends always have seen you this way. And you say, you know what? 
I'm going to do it and I'm going to make this affirmation. But you might have a friend to say, hey, come on. You know you want to come with us to go eat pizza or go do these things. Go to Cheesecake Factory. Go to Cheesecake Factory <laughs> or like me, have a lava cake. Um, <laughs> a lava cake. A lava cake with ice cream. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's okay to pause from some friendships just because you really want to get your life together. So um, I like what you said, pause. Yeah, pause. From some friendships. Yeah, I like Doesn't to, mean you cut them off. You don't have to cut them you, off. You just pause. Now, some you do have to cut off. I understand. Yes. But I always say lemonade can taste good in the living room and it can taste good on the deck. You just have to know where the people are standing. You know? Okay. Wait, explain that a little bit okay. more. The lemonade. <laughs> yes. So, you know, sometimes... I always say you don't have to share everything. Some of our deepest, deepest dreams that we're really trying to work on, sometimes it just needs to be marinated within yourself before you share it with the world because you first want to make sure that this is what you want to do and think about all that you want to do. And you don't want anyone to snatch a dream from you. <laughs> you don't want anyone to kind of inhibit where, you, you know, how big you might be thinking. So you might need what I call incubation moments. These are moments where you just shut down and you say, this is my time, whether it's a week or two. And you say, okay, this or is a month or a year or a month. <laughs> Exactly. Or you can even give people a timeout. But where this is really your time, because really time, Napoleon Hill, great motivational speaker um, from back in the day, he says that, you know, your time and how you invest it is just as important as money. People don't realize that. But how you invest your time and who you invest it with is really, really important. So if we're spending time with people that always doubt what we are capable, what we think we're capable of doing, guess what? We might get there, <laughs> unfortunately. So, so you're you're encouraging people to practice discernment. Yes, you know to be able to uh, figure out is this person really good for my life at this particular point? Exactly. Are they good for me as a human being trying to reach certain goals? Yes. I, it's not that I don't love them, but maybe I would love not to be in their company yes. or share certain information. That's very important. Because they can put a little pin in your bubble that you're trying to expand into something new. This is great stuff. This is, I mean, this is really true because, for example, even though I've written these three books, I knew that I wanted to write a lot of, I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I left college many years ago. But I started listening to people that were much older than me at the time. And I thought, oh, they must know what I'm supposed to be doing because they have been around longer. But what I found is a lot of times um, some people just may doubt you because they doubted themselves and they are not able to give you the kind of encouragement that you need because they never found it for themselves. There you oh. go. <laughs> you know, I, it, that takes me back to a story which I never tire of telling, and I haven't told it on the radio. But uh, we were sharing a little bit before we got on the air. And when I left college after my first year, I came home and I worked and uh, saved money and traveled to West Africa uh, for an entire summer. And then uh, before I left, I kind of made the rounds and talked to different friends and things. And there was this one friend in particular that I trusted them. And they said something like this. Well, 
Yeah, you should just go back to school, and uh, then when you're finished with school, then then travel to wherever you know. And it it hurt me to the quick that they said that. I said, "No, why would you say that? Well, you don't want to be a college dropout, you know." <laughs> and so, so yes, I had dropped out of college for a year, and so, and but I was very specific about why I was dropping out of college. And then I determined to go to West Africa. And when I came back, I more than made up for that one year that I took off. And I was very motivated to finish and graduated. What is that? Magna, Kuma, Summa, Lot, whatever, you know. <laughs> but I, I graduated with very great grades and, um, and didn't lose much time. And plus, I had been to West Africa for a whole summer to wow. three countries. So, yes. so th- that was a very different thing. And that same friend who uh, thought they were giving me wisdom, mm-hmm. um, they did travel too after they finished college. But it was like 30 years later. Wow. <laughs> wow. And they were like, hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't rub it in. But, right. you know, if you are hearing this now, I'm talking about you. Oh. <laughs> But 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 you're right. So so you're encouraging people to find that inner voice and to uh, develop that inner wisdom and that discernment Mm -hmm. about who is in your environment Mm -hmm. and how are they impacting your environment and your goals, your dreams. Yes, because I think that I always say the worst pill anybody can swallow is regret. Ooh, I like that. Oh, I like Dr. Lana. You could come back here. We could talk some more. Yes, yes. 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 Regret is the, I mean, it's the worst pill because I can't tell you since I started to say, you know what? I'm really not going to care if I'm dreaming big and writing. It might, you know, some people will say, oh, you're doing this now. Look at you. Who do you think you are? And, you know, all of these things. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Mr. Big Star. Uh, yeah. We'll find that. We're going to play that. <laughs> exactly. And um, it's funny because, actually, when I started the women uh, workshops this year, I immediately thought of that song, you know, I'm coming out, you know. And oh, I wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to play You're switching up. You're switching up on me. Wait a minute. Yes. I, oh, Mr. Big Stuff. Mr. That's Big Stuff playing okay. now in the background. Okay. <laughs> See, Mrs. Big Stuff. Ms. Okay. Big Stuff. <laughs> nice. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, who, who do you think you are? Who do yeah. you think you are? Yeah. Well, who? Are you, you're asking me, well, you know, that was the other, see, in my book, I won't go into it, but in my other book, Tomorrow Can't Wait, one of the things I talk about is the fear of success. Mm. There are, so after someone actually gets over, you know, the negative naysayers and they're finally able to go through incubation, then they are met with another obstacle, <laughs> obstacle which is Oh, my goodness, you know, I can do this. And what will happen if it actually turns out good? So the fear of success can happen. And so that is uh, something where you have to deal with it. For me, I, I did think, okay, so if I write all these books and I want to sing and do all these things, you know, am I ready? And, but then I had to still myself and bring myself back to that eight-year-old child. There we go. When we're children, mm-hmm. we never question you know, some of the innate things that just come out of us. 
And I said, you know what? I need to bring back that child because if I were that young child, I would just sing all day. I would write all day. I would run. I would smile. And I would be me because that's how I was created. And one thing that's amazing is that I have... um, out of my siblings, one thing I remember is as a child, my two brothers, um, they're all also very artistic. And so we would, I would be on the right side of the piano. My other brother would be on the left side and we'd just be jamming. <laughs> my other brother, <laughs> my other brother would, you know, he's like a, you know, technological creator. So he could be either breaking apart computers and putting them back together, but then creating beats and rhythms. And this was just our norm, this idea of creativity when Mm. we were together. It was just our norm. Isn't that wonderful? So it wasn't anything I questioned. It it just felt normal until, you know, you leave that environment and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Everyone doesn't play piano, write poetry and do this. Okay, so there's something different. Right. And I think I was scared of it in the beginning. I remember um, even in college, there was a woman that walked up to me and said, young lady, you need to stay focused because you seem like someone that could just, you know, fall off. And she mm. said, but you could be a leader. And I said, I didn't ask to be anybody's leader. Right. So you eventually have to come to an acceptance mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, you know what? I have these gifts for a reason. And you know what? When I use them, I feel, you know, I feel lighter. I feel like I'm contributing something. It's not that kind of selfish, like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this and that. It's not that. It's more like if I don't do this, I'm actually not able to contribute to the earth the way I would, the way I think I'm supposed to. Mm. And I think for me, um, you know, I would be singing whole songs in the bathroom, whole records, you know, writing whole things and thinking, wow, this is not just for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me that while it is, we have spent an entire hour. We've only got a few minutes left now. And so I don't know how you want to leave our listeners. If you want to read some more or Mm -hmm. if you want to talk about what they'll expect when they come on the 20th to the Haley House Bakery Cafe in Roxbury, Dudley Square. Yes. Um, but it, it, you've come full circle from the eight-year-old yes. to the doctor now, the PhD and the professor and the writer and the author, the world traveler. And you're going to share something with us mm-hmm. on uh, April 20th mm-hmm. at Art is Life itself, Alley Live. Yes. I just, well, I guess I would like to wrap up by saying, you know, come out. First of all, I want to thank Miss Lenegra. She is wonderful. I mean, I need to stress how important it is to have these outlets, and I definitely thank you for the opportunity to present on Thursday um, this week. So what I want to end with is a small poem. Um, if you come out, you'll be able to hear the whole the whole uh, poem itself. But here it is. This one is called Bonita, dedicated to the ladies. And it says, you are beautiful, no matter what anyone says. I hear your cry. I hear your sigh. I know you want to be okay. And nothing can hold you back from meeting destiny. You're beautiful, no matter what anyone says. I hear you cry. I hear you sigh. I know you want to be 
okay and nothing can hold you back from meeting destiny so come out and see me because i want you to experience this engagement i might sing something share something and give out some gifts to you guys who come out but definitely you don't want to miss it thank you so much for listening and i will see you soon thank you dr alana Dagraka was with us here today sharing her life, her experiences, her poetry, her writing. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us. And I'm serious. I want to bring you back. Maybe we can create a Dr. Alana segment, you know, I mean, telling people what's up because people need to know what's up, right? <laughs> so, uh, thank you for listening today. Uh, this is Alley Radio. We're here every Sunday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. on WRBB 104.9 FM. We do stream on the interwebs. Yes, that's right. We're here. www.wrbbradio.org slash listen hyphen live. Or you can download those free apps, tune in or simple radio plug in WRBB and take us with you. Well, that's it for another segment. We focus on food, art, culture, and spirituality. Hope you've enjoyed our hour together. I'm going to get back outside and enjoy some more of that nice weather before it dips down to 49 degrees tomorrow on Marathon Monday. Okay, uh, happy running, folks, and I look forward to talking with you again come out to the Haley House this Thursday if you're in the Boston area all you marathoners if you're staying over it'd be a good place for you to be at 7 o'clock in Dudley Square check out how we do it peace and blessings <laughs>